You are listening to the Jazz Violin Podcast, episode 35 with Ben Powell. again if you would like to support the podcast you can do so via patreon patreon is a way that you the listener can support me the content creator with uh, as little as one pound or one dollar or one euro a month blah 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 blah. no more of that if you want to although if you do want to join my jazz violin practice club which is basically a way for you to get some practice motivation and learn a little bit about jazz violin with me uh, you can do so on patreon as well anyway Enough of the hard sell. I want to talk to you about my amazing guest, Ben Powell. I love Ben's playing. He is an amazing violinist. uh, Amazing classical violinist. Has a great sound as well as being a great improviser. Um, I've followed him on the internet for many years. So I was very happy to get the chance to chat to him about his process. And we got through some pretty interesting stuff. Uh, One sad point about this though is that there were some Zoom problems, and we all know we all know about Zoom problems nowadays, don't we? But uh, yeah, there was a lot of Zoom problems in that we had some bad sound. We were hearing ourselves back, so we decided to do the interview. Uh, we decided to take a little break and carry on the rest of the interview. And me being pretty stupid, I forgot to uh, press record for the second part of the interview. So sadly, we missed out on a load of stuff. He said a load of great stuff about. Wow, why have I forgotten that? He did say some great stuff, and I was really annoyed that I messed up there. So, but there you go. I didn't want to bother him. I didn't want to bother him and make him say all that stuff again. I felt bad. So, there we are. I, I got to stop apologizing for the interview. It's a great interview. You're going to enjoy it. Please enjoy it. Give it up for Ben Powell. Um, so, where are you in the world? Uh, well, I live in Austin currently. Ah. I moved to the U.S. to go to Berkeley College of Music when I was eight, uh, 19. It was in my gap year yeah. that I actually decided to kind of give Berkeley a go. I was meant to study mathematics in London at um, well, Hollowell University. And um, instead, I ended up staying at Berkeley and studying jazz composition there and playing violin and continued to live in Boston after I graduated and uh, then I moved out to Los Angeles in 2014 ah. and lived there for about six or seven years, working mostly in the studios, Yeah, doing uh, film and television work. Yeah, And then about two years ago, moved here to Austin, not really <laughs> for, for anything other than, you know, uh, fig- figured LA was great, but probably not a long-term um, base for me in terms of, you know, I, the work was wonderful, but I, I just didn't feel like I, I could continue to live full time in Los Angeles, okay. the home. So uh, I had a buddy living in Austin, and 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 started coming out here on trips. And since worked from Austin this year, obviously not travelled much at all. No, but um, but usually I travel back to, to LA to do to do odds and ends of work. So yeah, and. 
who knows what the future holds, but that, that kind of seems to be the question everybody asks right now. So I don't even know. Yeah. It's crazy. I lived in Paris for a little while. Oh, did you? So that was good, yeah. Ah. yeah. So you you said that you went to, yeah. we've, we've, we've dove straight in, which is pretty good. Um, but you, you said that you yeah. went to America on a gap year. And what was what was your thinking behind that? Was it just to just to hang out, or was it to check out the music scene? Well, um, for a little context, my mother's American. Yeah, she grew up in New York. Um, so I, I traveled to America a lot as a kid. I have grandparents in New York, a lot of family, and particularly in the, in the Northeast. Um, in the Northeast. In, yeah, in in the New York area particularly. Cool. Um, so traveling to America was not a new thing. So considering university in America, um, I guess was something on the table. But I, I was specifically at the time looking for a music school or the potentiality of attending a music school that had a strong uh, jazz uh, string program. Because I grew up as a classical player who also played jazz, you know, because my mum is a violin teacher, specifically a Suzuki violin teacher. Ah. And and so I grew up learning through the auditory method of the Suzuki method, which you know really gave me the ability to to play by ear. And so once I heard you know, Stefan Grappelli in, I guess it was probably my tenth or eleventh year playing the violin, I I kind of got into into jazz. My parents didn't really have a lot of jazz on at home at all, so it was actually a, a music director of mine in seventh grade that started giving me some cds to go home with and, and and as soon as i heard it i just i just wanted to play like that so i started just you know orally trying to get onto the violin as much as i could hmm. from the ear to the finger so i grew up yeah i grew up you know doing kind of mainstream classical things i played in the national youth orchestra of great britain for three years but doing my jazz on the side had little groups and 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 just completely kind of self-taught and very little harmonic knowledge but just played by ear you know and yeah so by the time i was finishing my a levels um you know i've always had a, a, a huge uh, interest in aviation as well and grew up wanting to be a pilot so and mathematics was another interest so i figured well, i'll apply to i guess it was uh royal Holloway university had a joint program with the royal college of music and i'll study music in in london and mathematics in, in egham uh, at royal holloway but i'll take this gap year because in I'd met in my in my uh, I guess it was next to last concert with the National Music Orchestra. Keith Lockhart, who conducts the Boston Pops, was conducting us in England, and I was a principal string player at the time, and got to know Keith a little bit on the trip, and he brought a piano player with him from America, uh, who happened to be able to play jazz. So we would we would play a little bit in the evenings on on you know the course. And Keith kind of heard wind of this and, and, and checked it out. And he told me about Berkeley ah. in Boston. And I had heard of Berkeley music vaguely, but I really didn't know anything about it. So he returned to Boston and took a little CD of mine that I had, you know, made a few copies of with a wonderful piano friend of mine in, in school, who, who's, a, who's a fantastic piano player and plays jazz and classical. Um, music as well and, and and Berkeley actually contacted me and said hey you know uh, let's work something out maybe you can come over here and, and do a semester and, and you know check us out uh, because at the time they were really trying to grow their string department there they, they this was before it was really um, what it is today 
so I deferred my entrance in London and uh, moved to Boston in, in actually in January of my gap year. And, and honestly, I had no intention of, of staying in London and in, in, in Boston, and I had no intention of coming back to London. I just kind of thought, well, well, we'll see what happens, you know. And the rest is history, really. I, I mean, Berkeley wasn't it wasn't a great fit right away. I had to make it work, but it was a, a much greater experience in terms of not just attending Berkeley, but but being in a great college town like Boston was was fantastic because there's just so much going on. So so then I ended up staying at Berkeley um, and finishing my degree there as i say it was actually my my degree was in jazz composition but i immediately started to want to write and arrange music when i got to berkeley because the the core of the berkeley curriculum is is harmony and ear training so they get you really into that early in in your in your time there and i took to a lot of those courses quite quite well and and so you know in in having to pick a major to, to actually graduate with, uh, I, everything seemed to line up with, with jazz composition. So I, I studied big band and arranging writing for four years, which was fascinating because I didn't have much of a harmonic uh, background really. You know, I grew up playing violin by ear. I could read music very well, but vertically I didn't really know music well at all. You know, I mean, I had grade five theory and A-level knowledge music, but you can get by Berkeley. I have, really a very, very strong method of, of getting people's fundamentals with, with harmony, particularly what they call contemporary harmony. But, you know, you're, you're basically harmonically doing analyzations of, of, of American songbook tunes, you know, and figuring out how they're put together and constructed so that you can compose your own. Um, but that helped my playing so much because I was then able to apply all of that mathematical knowledge, if you will, mm. to to you know constructing solos and and transcribing and, and and getting deeper into making choices as an improviser as opposed to just playing by ear so then it yeah. was about well you know keeping the ear open and also uh you know intentionally kind of driving the boat a bit more in mm. terms of my solos and, and then my influences completely changed too you know i, I grew up listening to mostly grappelli um Ellington, you know, straight up, Peters, Oscar Peters, love obviously still love love all of them uh, just as much as I did back then. But, but I, upon arriving at Berkeley, I started to hear all sorts of new music that I'd never really grown up listening to. You know, this was again prior to the iTunes online thing. Growing up in England, I still had CDs, so it was whatever I was handed. The internet really didn't come into my life until maybe my upper sixth year in, in school so uh well yeah when i got to berkeley it was like you know finding out who the yellow jackets are hmm. and uh, weather report and you know, even you know brecker brothers and just just a lot of you know a lot of great music that i, I wasn't privy to in my in my school years that a lot of american kids who are coming out of american high schools were listening to so so then my ear kind of exploded even more and i i didn't actually study so much with string players i studied with um horn players you know J joe lovano was one of the guys i i played in his groups quite a lot at berkeley and loved loved being around him and, mm. and then it was more about trying to fit the violin into you know uh, combos and different groups which which you know the berkeley model really allowed for at that time i, I don't know what they're doing now because it's just so much more on offer but 
yeah so that was that's kind of my preliminary journey to to improv and and how i ended up at berkeley and but my my emphasis was always to keep my classical playing going because and still to this day you know the way it works for me and and, and it's, it's literally just a reflection of my upbringing and my background that you know i've always felt that my my classical uh, um focus and, and and tradition and practice has always allowed me to venture further into my um into my jazz studies because i've always wanted to play the violin as well as i can uh and be referred to as a as as a good classical violin player who can also improvise and not necessarily straight as a jazz player mm-hmm. um because you know it, it, i think particularly in the string world unlike the brass world where and maybe the reeds as well but you know brass players a lot of people grow up in brass bands you know big bands but also playing orchestras and it's much more common to find a trumpet player or trombone player who can improvise but plays you know at a, at a highly professional level as a classical player um less common in the string world more now than it ha- ever has been which is a beautiful thing um but but particularly when i was coming up you know as i say in my teens it was kind of a, a thing i was always cautious of saying well i'm a jazz violinist so well you know i'm a classical violinist who also improvises because and it's not all it's also not just jazz you know it's you, you want to be able to keep your ear open to all, all influences um so that was always an emphasis of mine at berkeley not to kind of pigeonhole myself too much as a jazz player but somebody who obviously reads well and that allowed me to work with a lot of film composers and 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 lots of different kind of projects that required uh string musicians because when i was at berkeley i i don't i couldn't give you a number but the, the string department wasn't very big at all uh and i was one of the few string players there who could read you know because yeah. a lot they had a lot of people coming in from from folk and bluegrass backgrounds here in in the states uh, who who didn't grow up reading music very much well whereas i come out of you know more i was much more groomed to go into a classical conservatory than i was at berkeley at that time you know i mean i've been around all of my friends went on to the academy in the royal college of london and the northern you know that's where everybody went and i went to berkeley so it was it's a different world you know and 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 that leaping forward a little bit that really helped me when i got to los angeles because um LA is a real word of mouth town and I wanted to I wanted to start working in the studios because it's you know it's where you make the most money um and you know you, it's a good day gig to get there and that you you can go out and make solid money and be at home in the evening or do other things um, and LA is it's a it's a far more open-minded community I would say generally speaking of musicians just because it's an industry town and people's skill sets have to lend themselves to you know a, an array of interests um so so there's a little bit less pigeonholing there if you will um so but i you know i worked for a while as a, as a mainstream you know once i got into the studio world i my jazz thing i i kind of i think i even kind of closed my website down for a while and i was very limited as to about, about what I, need, I wanted people to find out about me um because i was just cautious about getting put in the box too quickly um even though i just recorded a record with gary burton and julian large and, and you know had a lot of kind of press at the time about doing a grappelli tribute and it was all great stuff but i i didn't really want people to think well that's just what he does you know um so that's always been kind of the emphasis um uh, 
I've given myself and how I've kind of gone about trying to, you know, sculpt a career as somebody who, who you know, can show up and play, play just as well in, in the classical setting, no matter what, and then, you know, do, do other stuff as well. And I think we're getting more and more people who, who are able to bridge that gap. Um, I don't know if you've interviewed him, but I'm sure you know about Florin Nicolescu in, in Paris sure, yeah. and, and the wonderful Romanian behind yeah, who I yeah, actually moved to Paris to, to kind of just be, be around him more because I discovered Florin when I was at Berkeley on YouTube because hmm. the internet again I was kind of starting to use YouTube at that time as for educational purposes and just to you know broaden my mind and uh, I'd always loved gypsy jazz growing up but didn't really know much about the Parisian scene at all I, I actually learned more about it living in Boston meeting some Parisian musicians than I did back living in the UK and they put me on to Borelli Legren and, and, and Florin. And once I heard Florin play, it, it, he was a, an enormous, enormously influential figure on my uh, journey because I'd had Grappelli up to that point, but I didn't really have anybody alive today who I, re I really just took my breath away and, and, and was somebody I really wanted to emulate um, almost too much i would say probably now in hindsight you know but but i just i i'm, I'm still blown i still listen to him very regularly florin because he's he's really somebody i think who he's a he's a rare egg you know he's somebody who really can compete and and play the violin on the world-class level but he can swing his ass off and, yeah. and you can put him in any any improvisational context he's, he's really truly an extraordinary artist um, so I wanted to go and be around Florin, you know, and he didn't really have a studio. It wasn't any, it wasn't formal. So I just kind of moved to Paris to play um, with with a lot of the Manouche, you know, gypsy jazz musicians there to get to know that culture better. And I had quite a few French friends at that time when I met in the States. So, but, and, and then, you know, we'd see Florin from time to time and we'd hang out and play sometimes. And, you know, I'd just take what I could get, but he, he was enormously influential on, on my playing um, mm. and my journey. So, yeah uh, yeah that makes a lot of sense because he's very i mean he gets that classical tone better than anybody you know but as well as well he plays jazz and he really does play jazz and that's quite like must be quite i guess if that's what you're you're excited about when you're first getting into playing or when you're you know coming up and you hear him it's like that's that's it you know yeah it, it, it it's raw power mm. And, and what I mean by that is he doesn't need, he doesn't really need amplification. He doesn't need yeah. um, an electric violin. He doesn't need gadgets or anything no. to, to, to help uh, project or, or, or make his voice known. You know, he has the ability to put a violin under his set a chin and, and, and make, make a sound that any, any classical violinist would say that that's a beautiful violin sound and then swing with it. And uh, yeah. I find, you know, I mean, Grappelli of, course is the godfather of, of, of the jazz violin uh, at least for me and you know his, his sound is just something i think anybody can fall in love with it's so beautiful it's so lyrical it's so sweet it's tender it's all these wonderful things that you know i think we all try to emulate in our own playing um mm. but uh, your, your background influences everything you know because I've, I've now met so many players over here who have come from different stables you know and have listened to different things growing up and they want to play and, and and make a sound that that their hero makes or, or you know it's a, it's a combination of lots of different things i mean i 
as I say, I grew up listening to the Zuckerman Pullman era of, of classical playing. My, my father's a cellist in the city of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra. So I grew up going to a lot of classical concerts as a kid and, and was in a house full of people being taught string instruments. So, you know, sound was always a big deal, making a good sound. And you know, when I heard Florida, it was like, it, I remember thinking, wow, this is like David, this would be like David Oistrakh. If David Oistrakh could have improvised, this is yeah. what it would have sounded like. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. this guy's alive, you know, and I can go and meet him, you know. Yeah. So, he, yeah, Florin, Florin's been an enormous influence on, on, on me and uh, continues to be. I think he's, I think it's just a marvelous yeah. musician. So. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I've only managed, you know, I get yeah. to Paris sometimes and I've only managed to catch him playing just on the off chance that he was playing with my friend. I can't remember where, but in one of the one of the regular places in Paris. And I was blown away. I just, you know, walking yeah. into a room and seeing Florin play is pretty exciting, right? If you're, if you're you know, I guess it must be the oh, same yeah. for yourself. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that music too. I just always love that the lights can go out, but the music would yeah. never, never change. You know what I mean? That's always been one of the things about that style. Yeah, and for him, particularly his relationship with Pirelli and, and that career they had playing together, crazy uh, that era. It was the modern day hot club quintet. I've always yeah. thought Django and Grappelli must be up there just smiling to bits, looking down on what they were able to do with with that music and and and. Yeah. revitalized it but gave it their own their own brand you know it's a beautiful thing i agree hey um yeah. i'd like to just go back a little bit to what you're saying about your study of composition and how that helped you um how, how that helped you learn to improvise better because that's something that rings true very much with me i remember when i studied i studied on, on a jazz course um you know, i guess you would call it a jazz major or whatever but um and I yeah. found that the best, that that was one of the best things for me was was the composition classes. It was taking apart the, the you know the standards and saying you know this is what it is. This is perhaps what scale it could come from. This is why it's here. This is why you know, you know why is the first two bar? Why are the first two bars of Stella by Starlight those two chords? What could it mean? What could be the meaning behind that? What could the what's what's the composer trying to do? And I found that was the best thing for me better than yeah. anything any sort of like oh you can sort of play the scale on here and blah 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 so much better than right. than, than that I, for, and, and i think that might be a violinist thing because we don't think like you said we don't think down very much do we we think across we think in, no. we think about well, melody no. and we don't yeah. think about the chords very often and if you don't play a chordal instrument then you don't get used to these sort of uh, harmonic shapes that that, uh, that appear regularly in tunes, you, and it's and I think that studying composition, I agree. I'm just sort of agreeing with you here. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that it really does. I think for violinists, maybe not just violinists, maybe sax players as well. I don't know, but I, I can't speak for sax players. But for violinists, studying composition, definitely, I agree with you. That was it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it really, it, yeah, and it's something I kind of, I was never really forced to have to do until I went to, to music college and, and in a way kind of ended up being in, in these classes where I was, you know, a whole axis of music was being revealed to me that I never, I'd never n known about. And your ear opens up to it because, you know, we're, we're trained particularly playing, playing 
linear lined instruments that that as you say don't they don't force you to, to really look into the harmonic material of the piece at all i mean i i mm. countless pieces all the suzuki books concertos all the orchestral music i played in my teens I, I never i would never have known a key from what chord i'm playing from an available tension to a, a you know a mode in foreign vocabulary to me at that time and and so once you start to crack that open you you listen to music differently you know and you you really start to hear piano players and and, and comping instruments uh, differently and you you start to understand the subtleties and the brilliance of, of great you know harmonic players mm. um, and then you 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 it, it can't help but just seep into your being and and come out in your playing and it just gives you more choices you know i think that's really at the end of the day the thing you, you start to then want to delve deeper into your own playing and your own solos and your own writing and arrangements or whatever you're doing because you you now have a toolkit to work with you know as opposed to it just being luck mm. you so you doing suzuki that yeah. that obviously you, as you said that helped your your ear and that seems to be quite a like a um a common theme for people who do end up pursuing jazz violin is doing Suzuki. I never did Suzuki, but a lot of people who I've had on here have done, you know, or did a little bit of Suzuki or started on Suzuki. And I think from, for just from, just from, you know, from decode, because I've recorded, I've maybe done maybe like 35 interviews here from decoding these interviews. I see that the, what the, wow. um, what that, I think one of the things that that helps, it seems to be that, if you've done if you've done Suzuki, you've learned by you've learned to you know learn by ear. And then when you hear jazz, you can you can hear it and you can go, oh, okay, well I'll just work that out by ear. And the and the classical musician who didn't do Suzuki perhaps goes, okay, uh, right. Well, so where do I get the sheet music from? And they look and then they're like, wow, that looks crazy. And is, I don't think this is how this works. And then someone will tell them, hey. This isn't how it works. Yeah. You don't look for the sheet music of what Grappelli played. You need to work it out by ear and start doing it yourself. You're improvising, and it, and I think yeah. that 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 it yeah. seems like that Suzuki the Suzuki method sort of gets rid of that little that sort of bit waste of time, so to speak, and like the sort of stress because there is a mo I remember having the you know being like right I want to sound like that how do I do that I have no idea I don't understand it doesn't make any sense you know. And it, did, it didn't didn't um, occur to me to just what just to just listen to it and emulate it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very it's a very 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 powerful method of learning, particularly when used at the right time mm. uh, in a child's life. And and I have to say, I mean, you know, I was extremely fortunate and unknowingly going up, you know, with a, a Suzuki violin teacher as a mother because. In a sense, before, even if even once, even when I was in the womb, I'm I'm already a student of music, yeah. which is yeah. which is very much, you know, the auditory feeling of what Shinichi Suzuki wanted. I mean, the whole idea was you teach music as as a child is learning their mother tongue, so that music is as natural to them as speaking their language. You know, and he was always so fascinated with how kids could learn a complicated language such as Japanese at such a young age and and then subconsciously just communicate without question. I mean, it is one of the marvels of, you know, accents and, and yeah. why we sound a certain way and how we just be able to speak a language. And it is it is extraordinary. And so the idea being that, you know, if you, if you can put a, an instrument in a child's hand and make it 
part of their day, even if it be two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. You know, by the time they're five or six years old, and this has been happening since they were two, I mean, I started when I was two, two and a half, you know, All but right. I've been listening for, since I've entered the world, you know. Yeah. So all my pieces were learned by ear. I didn't really, I was very slow reader, even eight, nine, ten years old, I was way behind reading, but you could play me something a few times and it would okay. come out because I, I, I could hear the intervallic relationships in my head and I knew exactly where they went on my hand. So, so when Grappelli entered, you know, my territory and I started putting my headphones on, listening to him, what I would do is actually not hear myself, which, which I encourage people to do. It sounds crazy. But what that allows you to do, particularly if you're, if you're maybe in your adult years or where you're now at a point where you're very self-aware and you're, you're critical of, of anything that you do, you know, tends to, tends to come with age that we, we lose this wonderful ability where, you know, as kids, we just throw ourselves into things. Um, I would put the headphones on and I couldn't hear myself. But I would just, I would just let the music kind of come through my head and out of my fingers, and I don't even know if what I was playing matched. But it was more absorbing essences, essence of the feeling of how it was to play so freely. I mean, that's one of the beauties of Grappelli. It was just, it was, it was as though he was, it was like flowing water. It just was a language that poured out of him. Wow. And that, I think, that was more important than playing the right notes or the wrong notes. It was more about connecting with that spirit. And then from there that, you know, then I can deal with, all right, you know, learning phrases and getting things down. But so that, that was a big deal. That's you know, very I interesting. do that particularly after an Yeah. Sorry, I, again, this yeah. lag, Jesus. No, 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 no. Zoom lags, yeah, man, no. they are super annoying, but I, I just spoke over you. Um, uh, I was just saying that I've never heard anybody say that before, so that's very that's a very interesting thing. That you, you know that that technique. Well, I guess you wouldn't. Have yeah. been, it wasn't you weren't you wouldn't think of it as a technique when you were doing it. But if you just don't mind elaborating, right. you're putting your you're putting your headphones on, you're listening to Grappelli, and you're literally just going hey and just yeah. doing whatever, or you're are you trying to you're trying to emulate in real time, or is this something? Is this you're are you listening to something that you already know and yeah. Well, it, they, these would have been CDs that or I would I would listen to on the car journey or, mm -hmm. you know, just doing homework. So I, yeah. I get to know this well without the instrument in my hand. Yeah. And then I would do an hour or two of Tchaikovsky or whatever practice. And I'd be nice and warmed up, you know, and, and, and I've got whatever classical stuff I needed to get done. And this was like my little reward at the end of all of that. I'd stick the headphones on, click play, and and you know, I maybe I would be able to hear myself just enough to kind of know I'm in I'm in the right key, mm -hmm. you know. But I would just let the whole band into my ear, you know, Kenny Clark, whoever else he had yeah. in the group, and I just kind of go with it, and it, whatever came out would come out. Yeah, it's, for me, I guess because I speak when I speak to like bassists and perhaps drummers. One of the things that they do to practice, especially yeah. bassists, actually, uh, a lot of bassists I know have said to me that they practice just playing along to records. They'll turn the bass down really low on the on the record, and they'll just play along, and they'll just be in the band. And it's like, cool, I'm in a band. I'm in the band now for this whole album. Just play the whole album. And it's something that it it's a, it's quite difficult as a frontline instrument to do that sort of practice 
because you can hear yourself, you're just going to get in the way. So that is a very, very clever way. I mean, I know that you weren't trying to make it to be clever, but it is a very clever way of, of being able to do that practice, basically being like, hey, I'm in this band, I can't really hear it, but I'm just playing and having fun. That's great, man. Such a yeah. great idea. And, and, you know, one step you can add to that that I didn't, but I encourage people to do, which seems kind of crazy, but you can record yourself Mm. So even though you may not be hearing what's coming out because you listen to this to the record, if you record yourself, you listen back to it, you know you, what happens. Yeah, you will find things that you like, and of course, a lot of things you don't like. But but the fact is that you're connecting with the essence of what it is you're hearing, as opposed to being completely a, a, a critic of yourself all the time. And that's what you're trying to eliminate because you're really. And when I teach. You know, I, it, that's what I'm trying to get people to connect with is a feeling because because essentially that I think is at the very, very core of, of, of jazz music. You know, it's not about this lick versus that lick, putting that over this and, you know, we can, move, we can, go, we can go there. But it's, it's, it, you can tell when people have that, that feeling. It's, it, you know, swing is, it's, it's, it's in you, you know, and if it's in you, it's in you. I, mean, I remember when I was a teenager and I'd hear swing music, it would it would turn a light bulb in on in me. I just, I just thought it was the coolest thing to hear, yeah. you know, a walking bass with a right cymbal and a piano player. And you know, that, that Grappelli quartet stuff, mm. it was my jam when I was yeah. in my teens. Cause I would just listen to that and I would just, I'd float, you know, I'd really feel the music make me buoyant. And that's where it all begins. If, if that's where you access the music from, if that's your portal into the world, that world, you can't go wrong. So much in our academic uh, way of, pro you know, coming up with a process of learning and, and methodizing things, which which is all good, um, it, it, but it's a little too it's a little too weighted now in that direction for me. And I and I'll say, you know, when I got to the end of my four years at Berkeley, I moved to Paris pretty much straight after that because I was <laughs> I was in need of being around musicians who were completely trained through the auditory process mm. and most gypsy musicians, you know, you know, the Roma and people who come in to Paris, you know, these Paris, how it used to be when I was there, you'd find out where these jams are in the, in, in, in the bars and stuff at night. They don't read a note of music. Sure. You know, they've learned their instruments completely by ear in their through their family lineage of sitting around and playing guitar and it from their brothers and cousins and, sisters and uncles and aunts and whoever else is around so yeah i was ready to be done with you know the book kind of academic uh, yeah. process of learning to improvise yeah, yeah berkeley i was, I was time to have something very different but it was very necessary to get in the book as well so. sure yeah 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 i i i completely i completely have that same had that same sort of thing actually from do it from studying jazz you do just go a bit crazy and i'd be it's great and exactly i come away you come away and you're like well i know how to practice for the rest of my life now i don't have any i don't have any problems with what to practice yeah. i know but you do it does sort of it can it can put it too it just makes it a little bit too cerebral you know it can do it's great but it can suddenly become cerebral and actually for me for listening to jazz manouche i got really into jazz manouche as soon as i left i'd like to talk to you just briefly actually about what you said earlier, you said yeah. that when you got to college, you had this uh, to Berkeley. You had a certain set of uh, influences that were, you know, 
that you were that you were going for and then being in berkeley or being at music college or whatever yeah. changed that and that's again that's something that i think a lot of people get um did you did you feel like would, would you say that was a positive thing for you or would, would you say that was a negative thing or, or both oh no it was, it was definitely a positive thing i mean my my little bubble needed to be kind of expanded a lot you know yeah. i mean i i would as i say i mean in a sense it's it's so different to now where you, we all access spotify or whatever you have on your phone you can listen to anything you want but i yeah. I, I feel rather fortunate to remember those days when i had kind of whatever you could take in a cd sleep with you, you yeah, know? yeah yeah and you really get to know you'd really get to know those five cds or six cds yeah. well um and there's something beautiful to that so in a way you know, it helped focus me, I think, at a time when I needed the focus in my teams just to be listening over and over and over again to the same things. Because in that repetition, you you find revelation. Whereas now, I think there's just so much on offer. People don't even know where to go digging. And and, yeah. and that can be a problem as well. So I was very ready to, 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 to kind of have my ears expanded at Berkeley. And, and one of the beautiful things about that is you're doing it you know, at home with the use of the internet, but you're also doing it in a classroom with with other human beings, with other students, with teachers, yeah. you know, who are, and, and there are things you like and things you don't like, but then the things you don't like actually within a few years become things you like because yeah. it's a bit like food, you know, I mean, yeah. and wine growing up, you know, no kid likes wine, you know, but you wonder how you're ever going to like that as an adult. And it's the, it's the same with music, you know, and the more I started to understand the music, you know, uh, comprehensively in its structure, the more I could accept, you know, free jazz and things. I mean, I would never, free jazz when I was a teenager to me was just noise. Like, I didn't know how to even begin to listen to that. But then, you know, you, you, somebody says you should check out some more Net Coleman and, and yeah. you start listening to more and more stuff. And then little by little, you, you, you know, and it helps put the things you, you've loved for forever you know in in context as well yeah. um so it just becomes a broader array of style mm. you know, yeah no which is which is important yeah yeah i agree so um yeah. be interesting to hear about your work with gary burton actually that was uh i've checked you know i obviously know that cd you recorded that along quite a while ago yeah. but I, I really love that cd man i think it's great oh thank you yeah well i you know i'd always it's a combination of things, you know. <laughs> I was coming out of Berkeley. I, well, I was living in Paris. This was after I graduated graduated from Berkeley. You know, at that time, I was, you know, really wanting to get a group together or at least have musicians I could call who knew my repertoire and book gigs. You know, I was looking for an agent. I was looking to get festivals booked. I was looking to tour and, uh, you know, that's, that's what a lot of people, too, um, coming out of Berkeley were wanting to do, you know, hit yeah. the road and, and tour and play, play music. And, um, I guess I've been lucky to, you know, I should just quickly say that Berkeley is kind of one of those places that you, you don't just go to learn music. You're, you're as a student there, you're, you're kind of experiencing, and it's, this is very true. You're really experiencing a microcosm of the, of the music industry. So I didn't really appreciate that until I moved to LA because what you get at Berkeley is, and maybe now more schools have diversified and give you this experience. Um, I can, I, Cause I can imagine Trinity college London and other places have, have started to, you know, expand in terms of what they offer. But, you know, a lot of my friends were, were 
music production and engineering majors or you know they music business and so you were around people in these classes in the core classes like harmony and even in even in the ensemble classes where you're playing with really great players they may not be majoring in performance like i was a composition major i wasn't a performance major so if you wanted to do a record you you you'd know jason in your harmony class who's an NPE major doing production and he could book the studio at 2 a.m and you could then call your buddies who play and say hey i got a studio at 2 a.m let's just throw down some music yeah you know and see what comes out so you you could use the resources of the school and the community there to to really you know benefit yourself yeah. and in so doing you're learning how the industry works you know yeah uh on student level so i was really lucky to kind of get a lot of that under my 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 belt at school so that by the time i left I kind of knew what I needed to do in order to get a group going. You know, I, I needed a press kit, I needed a CD, I needed, there were certain things that were a must at that time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and you need kind of a, a, you need a kind of a hypothesis. You need, you need some mission statement for your group that isn't just your name and it's, and it's a band. And so my love of Grappelli and wanting to kind of pay tribute to him was, was something that I wanted to do with that record. And so I, I, Julian Large and I were at Berkeley together and, and we knew each other fairly well. Um, and I think I was connected to Gary through Julian and, and on email. And I sent Gary an email with, with a video of mine, just reaching out and saying hi, because he was the former president of Berkeley and, and obviously had still very close ties with the school. Um, and I didn't have any intention of, <laughs> you know, ever having him play on a record of mine, you know, that was, that was beyond a dream, but I just wanted to touch base with him because I know he had, I know he had recorded a, a record with Grappelli called Paris Encounter. And I believe it was, I mean, the early seventies, mid seventies, it came out on Atlantic records and it's a great cut. I, I had the, yeah. I had the CD and I, I knew it. So I knew Grappelli and, yeah. and Burton had known each other. And that was another thing, you know, Finding musicians who had played with Stefan is, the, is my only access to knowing more about him, you know, beyond the CDs, you know. And so I wrote to Gary just to introduce myself and he wrote back and he was really complimentary about my playing. And, and so we had this lovely dialogue about, you know, Grappelli and his memories of playing with Grappelli. And, um, and it just kind of continued. And I remember living in Paris when I was in touch with Gary a lot. And I was formulating ideas for my next CD, you know, as, a, as kind of a way of getting things going and i you know maybe i i can't remember maybe i took a couple of shots of whiskey and wrote the email yeah. <laughs> asking yeah. him if he'd be at all in, interested in playing you know on a few just a few tracks you know just to pay tribute to capelli and it'd be really special and he wrote back and he said yes you know and it was just the most amazing thing because you know not only was was it just kind of overwhelming to think that i get to play with gary burton and have him play on my record but it was it was a beautiful extension of of his time with Grappelli because he, he, you know, Gary hasn't played with many jazz violinists if any since Stefan, and so here I was able to kind of, you know, connect musically with somebody who was a bridge, you know, to to Grappelli. So added to that, he digs out this this tune that Grappelli had written for him after they had um, cut the record and and gone their separate ways. This is something Rapelli apparently used to do for people, you know, he obviously liked. He'd write them, he'd pen them a tune and put it in the mail and send it to them. And and Gary had this this, this piece that, hmm. that Rapelli had written for him. And 
I know Grappelli had, had recorded the tune on a record, not with Gary Burton though, back in probably in France with this quartet. So, so this it was an amazing. It was just like you couldn't even write a, a more kind of fitting and more special story than you know having having Gary play this tune written for him by Stefan Grappelli, and this was the very first time that Gary was playing it. So, and and the name of the tune is Gary, and it's on that record, New Street. So it was really, it was really a beautiful 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 experience um and yeah yeah i actually haven't listened i just just listened to that record the other day for the first time in a few years <laughs> and uh it's it's really nice to return to so a lot of really beautiful memories that's cool yeah i really 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 like it man i, I remember i remember i think i remember when it came out oh wait i can hear myself back uh have you got yeah something's gone weird Okay, guys, sorry about that. So, as I said earlier, we encountered some Zoom issues. We then did carry on the interview, but I forgot to press record. And I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to, like, uh, subject Ben to having to say a load of stuff that he's already said again. He's a busy man, and uh, he was. Uh, I was so happy that he gave me his time anyway. So, that's the end of the interview. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I got a lot out of that. I really enjoyed chatting to Ben. He was a wonderful guest. He's a wonderful player. Please check out his music. You'll be able to find some of that via the links in the description of this podcast. Um, if you would like to get involved in my Jazz Violin Practice Club or you would like to help the podcast out, please check out www.patreon.com forward slash Matt Holborn. Uh, I will see you again in the new year. Hope everybody is doing okay. And uh, yeah, keeping going. Bye.